Praise the Lord, everyone. God bless you. Let's stand together. Let's lift our hands and worship God and just praise him here this morning. Let's worship the Lord, all of us together. Jesus, we love you, God, and we thank you for your blessings and goodness. We thank you for the privilege to be in the house of God. Thank you for your word, your truth. We thank you, God, for your people. We ask you to touch our hearts and lives here today as we come into your presence. In the precious and lovely and wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Turn to your neighbor, shake their hand, greet them in Jesus' name, even if it's your wife or husband. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> God bless you. You may be seated. <laughs> we have been studying in our, in our word here uh, a, sort of a mini-series that has to do with uh, the uh, apostles' doctrine. And a uh, week before last, we studied about the word that said that there would be a falling away where Paul and James and Peter and John all spoke of that, even Jesus. Jesus gave a parable and he said that there was, the sower went forth to sow and, and that he sowed, he sowed good seed. And then an enemy came along and sowed bad seed among the, the wheat. So you had the tares and the wheat growing together. And he said, what shall we do? He said, let them grow to both together, and in the end time, he would separate them all. So he was saying that there would be always the bad with the good, and in the kingdom of God and throughout the New Testament period of time, you would have all this growing together. He was, then went on to say that the, uh, the, that the field is the world, not the church, but the world. The church is the good seed that's in the world. And so he went on to you know, point that out to us. And then the Bible went on to say in other scriptures that Paul warned the early church that there would come a time when they would fall away from grace. Amen. And he talked about that. Last week we got into some of the other areas of uh, the, the apostles' doctrine, what they taught, what they, we went into great detail in explaining about the baptism in water, uh, believing on the Lord, uh, also uh, repentance and also the baptism of the Holy Ghost, evidence of speaking in tongues, gave me scriptures and so forth to substantiate that this was indeed the teachings of the apostles. Uh, and we, uh, of course, referred uh, also to that scripture in, uh, I think it's in Galatians, where Paul said, if anyone else, though he be an angel from heaven, anybody else preaching, or, or even if it's me, Anyone else preach any other gospel to you other than that that I have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And Paul declared that, stating that there is only one gospel. One place speaks about the gospel of Christ, and if somebody else should preach any other gospel, and, and then in parentheses it says, if there be any other gospel. There is no other gospel, but there's only one. That is, it's all through Jesus Christ. Repentance, being baptized in his name, and filled with his Holy Ghost. Uh, walking with God, living a clean, holy life, serving the Lord, and then the promises of the Lord that he would come back for his people. Amen. And then, of course, the resurrection of the dead, holiness, all these things are all part of that. Uh, what I want to do here today here is just remind you of the scriptures where Paul reminded them there would be a falling away. So I want you to go, first of all, to Acts chapter 20, verse 17. This is what we looked at two weeks ago. And I just want to bring this back to your attention. Acts 20, and uh, <clears throat> we're going to read a couple of verses here. This is when Paul had finished up his ministry 
among the Gentiles, that is among the Greeks and the, uh, the other nations that he went preaching among them. And, uh, and so he's traveling here, going to Jerusalem, and he wants to be there for the Feast of Pentecost. Uh, the ch early church, uh, they celebrated the Feast of Pentecost uh, and the uh, Day of Pentecost because that's when the Holy Ghost was first poured out. So he wanted to be back in Jerusalem for that. And uh, so Paul, verse 17 in Acts 20, 17 says, and from Miletus he sent to Ephesus. His ship came into Miletus. It was a port that he sent to Ephesus, which was not a seaport. And he said, you elders of the church, come here. The, elder, the church was the church that Paul had founded when he, in the 19th chapter of the book of Acts. So he said, come here. I want to talk to all of our elders. So when they had come there, look at verse 25. I'm just skipping time, skipping scriptures here to save time. He says, now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. I already know that. You'll never see me again. Uh, I'm going to be leaving. When I go to Rome, I know that from there, my, uh, the course is going to take me in a different direction. And uh, Paul already knew that. And of course, it absolutely was, that, that's the way it happened. So he says, before I pass you up or go on back, I want to just talk to you, you here at Ephesus. And there are other pastors around in the area. In verse 28, he picks up here what he wants to talk to them about. He says, take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he had purchased with his own blood. Now, verse 29, here's the reason that he's admonishing them. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them or after themselves. And so Paul is warning them that these times would come and that they were to stay with the apostles' doctrine and stay, abide in the faith and those kind of things that they might be saved and walk with God. Now, I want to refer to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3, just this one verse. And this is where Paul was writing to the Thessalonians, Thessalonians was a city in Greece, still is there, Thessalonica is called today. They call it Thessaloniki, but it's, uh, we, in the Bible we call it Thessalonica. Uh, chapter 2, verse 3, said, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. So Paul here is talking about this coming of falling away from the apostles' doctrine. That come a falling away. Then he goes on to say, that man of sin be revealed. That part has not yet happened. We are in between that. But the falling away has happened. And that's the part that we're talking about. That happened, of course, uh, after the apostles all passed away and they were off the scene. Another scripture I want to read to you is one found in 2 Peter 1.14. These are scriptures that I've already referred to. Not the one in 2 Peter, but others like it. Look at uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 14, 114. Knowing that shortly I must put off this tabernacle. This is Peter now talking. And he, when he writes 2 Peter, he knows that his time is up. The year is 68 AD. He's a prisoner. And he knows he's going to be executed. And he knows that, and he's under Nero's persecution. And 
So he knows that his time is up. He says, knowing that shortly I must put off this tabernacle, meaning the flesh, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. So Peter knew it was time for him to be going. Paul also expressed the same thing in 2 Timothy 4, 6 when he wrote to Timothy. He said, my departure is at hand. I know that. So these men knew that it was time that God would be taking them out, calling them home. And they were always concerned about the church because they knew the church was going to go through some severe falling away times following their departure. Now, I'm here in 2 Peter. Look at, uh, still there in 114. Go to chapter 2 and verse 1. I'm going to read the first two verses. 2-1. This is Peter writing. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who shall privately shall bring indomitable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Verse 2, and many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be even spoken of. So Peter here is warning the early church to be careful because there's this, this coming away that he's talked about. Paul's talked about it. We know that John talked about it. We know that Jude talked about it. Jude had some very sharp things to say about it and so forth. And all these things were declared that we all know that was a devastation and a series of situations that began to develop. Amen. Uh, I want to uh, want to talk to you about what happened whenever the falling away began. Uh, the early church, the apostles, uh, lived out their life. All of them were killed. All were martyred except John. John is the one who wrote the book of Revelation. In fact, his gospel was the last of the gospels written. This is why John's gospel is different than Matthew, Mark's, and Luke's a little bit because John wrote with the intentions of writing about things that Matthew, Mark, and Luke did not write about. And he filled that in. Some of the things that, like the feeding of 5,000, he did, but other things that he he put in his that they did not have because he wanted to wrap it up, tell more things that he knew because he had walked with Jesus on a very daily basis when Jesus was on earth. So uh, he wrote his gospel around 90 AD. Uh, around 96 AD, there was a persecution going on. Uh, if I can uh, maybe show you a chart here. I don't know if I got one or not. Uh, but there was a, yeah, here's one. Do we have our, yeah. Here is a, here's a series of persecutions. There were 10 major persecutions under 10 emperors. Uh, let's see if I can, let's see if we can zoom in on this. Make it a little large here. This is Nero. He was the first one from 64 to 68. And he was the one that brought the persecutions which Paul and Peter passed away. Uh, Domitian was the second one. His was the one that John was in, 95, 96. And it was during this period of time that John was being persecuted. He had been put on the Isle of Patmos and was uh, you know, in the salt mines working hard. And John was an old man at this point, 90 years old or so. And God showed him what we now know as the book of Revelation, revealed that to him in 96 AD. So John wrote that. He was the only one that was not killed in persecution. 
in 98 uh, AD, uh, John was, uh, he just died of old age. But uh, these situations were all developing. What I'm trying to point out to you, it was during this period of time of a series of persecutions. They'd rise to power, then they would quit persecuting the Christians. Uh, Trajan was another one, Aeolus was another one, Severus was another one, Maxim Maxim uh, Maximinus was another one, and so forth. It goes all the way down until you get to Decletion here, who was the last one and of the persecutions because Rome believed in paganism. They were in pagan worship. You know that. They had many gods. You know, the, the Greeks had many gods. Jupiter was the chief god, of course, of the, of, the, of the Romans and so forth. And so because of these things, these emperors felt like they had to always be supporting these Roman gods. But this Christian element would begin to grow. But the persecution would cause things to happen. Like, for instance, a man would be a Christian. He'd be brought before they'd say, recant of your Christianity or you die. He'd say, okay, I recant. So he was no longer a Christian. Well, when the persecution law was over with, he wanted to go back and be a Christian again. And the men of the Christians would say, no, you can't be. You recanted in the time others gave their life because they said, we will not recant. But now you want to get back and be a Christian again. So you've been excommunicated. You know, and they had things like this going. So some of the Christians said, no, no, let them live. Others have said, no, no. I mean, let them, let them be included. Others would say, no, 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 they can't be, and so forth. And so all of these elements were all working in that early period of time in that early church, and they began to form different ideas, different opinions about different things. And along with that became a different view on doctrine, how they could grow the church. They said if the church could get stronger and bigger and greater in the Roman Empire, it would not be under so much persecution. We need to attract more people. All of these things came into play until the early church began to say, what of the apostles' doctrine do we need to hang on to? And so they begin to let certain things slip. Now, folks, this is something that we ourselves must be careful that we don't do. We have it right in the book. We talked about that last week, the apostles' doctrine. We have to hold fast to those things because that's what God will honor. And he wants his people to always be strong on truth, strong on the word, and to believe. Believing is believing what he has said. That's what faith is all about. Faith is not just believing Jesus existed. Faith is believing everything that Jesus said and holding fast to it. The just shall live by faith. We are saved by faith in the sense that we believe the word of the Lord for salvation, the salvation scriptures. But then we, the just shall live by faith by believing the words that he has given us by which we are to live for him walk with him and serve him praise the lord so all of these things uh continued on and so uh they begin they got into a place where they begin to fall away and uh, i'm going to do a, a real quick chart here uh of that let me see if i can get us back to where we were a while ago this is a, a chart on the falling away the great falling away of the church and it starts out Let's see here how I can, and now you may not see this, but these are the various things that they begin to give up. They, uh, they, they, the early church begin to practice the Trinity, the Trinity doctrine, uh, the pouring and sprinkling in the place of baptism, celibacy, which means that the priests or the ministry, it was not a priest in the beginning. Uh, there never was a priesthood in the early church. That was only in the Jewish faith and in all pagan religions. 
And so they adopted to themselves then a priesthood as well uh, so they could be like the other religions. And that celibacy, meaning that they, uh, they would, did not allow their ministry to marry, and so they had to be celibate. And the uh, transubstantiation, which was the belief that when you receive communion, that the wine is turned to the literal blood of Jesus and that the bread is turned liter literally to the body of Christ. And in the Catholic Church, uh, transubstantiation is believed to occur when the priest gives that and he honors that and he prays for it. It's done by the priest. In the Lutheran Church, which they never done away with transubstantiation when Martin Luther changed that, but he said it's done away by God, it's done with, by God, not by the priest. That's the only difference between the two. So I'm just pointing out to you here that these begin to be things that fall away. Confession, where they've confessed their sins and they were okay then. A mass, which was a substitute for communion. A Mariolatry, which began, began to be the worship of Mary, worship of Mary. Uh, purgatory, that is that place that we go to uh, and there is no purgatory. There's nothing in the Bible about a purgatory. That was just something that was picked up from heathenism. Do you understand what I'm saying here? How little by little they begin to pick up things. It goes right on down, you know, to uh, justification by works, in, indulgences, infallibility of the Pope, way down here at the bottom, and they, they entered into the dark age. All these things, little by little, begin to creep into the church and change things, and things begin to happen, things begin to change, and... Uh, and it began to occur to them. The thing that got it started, listen closely to me, and I realize that I'm into some church history stuff here, not so much in the scriptures right now. But the thing that got it started was men who were philosophers of the Greek uh, doctrines. They were men who would become Christians, and they had been educated in Greek philosophy. And there, I could give you names after name after Clements and, and, and Origen and uh, Justin and on and on and on names that me, would mean nothing to, to us here today. But they were individuals who would say, oh, in the Greek philosophy, they believe this and they believe that. Why don't we adopt some of that? That would help us as Christians. In other words, here's what it boiled down to, folks is that the apostles' doctrine was too simple. Now, the Bible talks about the simplicity of the gospel. The gospel is simple. You know why? That a fool cannot err therein. Anybody can be saved. And it's a very simple thing. You know, the Lord didn't say get baptized in rose petals. He said get baptized in water. Why do you use rose petals? Well, that was Amy MacPherson years ago in California. That's the way she baptized in rose petals. You don't know about it. You guys are all young people, but I remember way back there when she was trying to be sophisticated. She was an apostolic believer, and she got into some wild stuff, and next thing you know, people was following her, and she baptized in rose petals, you know, just to make it glamorous and everything. Well, the Bible picked water. There's more water than anything on the face of the earth. You know, here is water. What does hinder me to be baptized? That's what the Ethiopian eunuch said to Philip, you know, when he was in the chariot riding along. He was saying, you've got to be baptized. He said, oh, here's water right here, right here. In the, we're right along the edge of the Mediterranean Sea. You know, here's water. And it doesn't matter if you're salt water, fresh water. You know, somebody said one time they want to be baptized in running water. They didn't want to be baptized in a baptistry. 
and when the running water, I said, fine, we'll turn the faucet on, pull the plug, and uh, we'll baptize you. <laughs> it's running water. Praise God. Amen. It doesn't matter. First guy I ever baptized, I baptized in a, in, a, in, a, in a creek, at the head of a creek where the water was coming out of the ground, you know, boiling out like Silver Springs, only it was a, another spring like that. And, and it was like right over there. And then right down a ways was a little sort of washed out place. And that's, that's, where, that's where, you know, that's where we baptized him. Turned on them headlights at nighttime. This guy was a little bit inebriated anyhow. And he was my first convert. I was about 19 years old and I was preaching my first revival. And I said, man, you got to get baptized, you know. So he said, I want to be baptized. I said, all right. And he was, he was staggering around a little bit. So they shined them headlights down there, and we took them all gathered around there, and they sang a song about shall we gather at the river and all that. And I, we waded out in that cold. That water was cold. We waded out in that cold spring water in that little washout place, and all you could see was just the spot there where we were baptizing him and everything. And uh, he said, how do I act? And I thought the scripture said we are buried with Christ in baptism, buried with him in baptism. And I, I thought of that scripture, and I said, just act like a dead man. He said, all right. So he did like this, you know. So I put the hand over his mouth, you know. And I said, in the name of Jesus Christ. And I put him under, and the spring was like coming from this way. Well, when I put him under like that in the name of Jesus Christ, and I brought him up, I tried to stand him up, but he was stiff. He wouldn't, he wouldn't stand up. And as I began to push him up, trying to get him up, the current was pushing like that. And I, and I was trying to get him up, and it went out of the car lights into the darkness down here. And, and it was a stream of water went right on down there. And everybody knew that down a ways, just not very far, there was some water moccasins down that way, you know? So, so you know, I mean, they didn't stay up here where it was real cold. They got down the stream a little bit. And I was trying to get him, but, and finally he just disappeared. He just went floating off down, <laughs> down the stream. And I stood there looking at him. And he was there, you know, and everybody was all looking over there, you know, trying to spot him. Funny things happen like that, you know? And everything, and he was, the next thing you know, we heard him splashing around and carrying on down there, and he finally crawled out. I mean, this time he wasn't inebriated. He was sober, real sober. But he climbed out down there, and he came back around, and he came back over here, and I said, you all right? And he, I'm fine. He said, but I want to ask you a question. Why did you let me go down there and float down there with all them snakes? I said, remember what I said? I said, when you're baptized, you act like a dead man. Dead men don't talk. I just, I baptize you. You've been baptized. Don't ask no questions. <laughs> I don't know why I thought about that. Anyhow, uh, the funny thing about it, two years later, I went back and preached another revival at a little country church, and he was in the church, praise the Lord, living for God, walking with the Lord, one of the members there and everything, and we all laughed about it. But I'm just trying to say here, you know, that baptism is a very important part of it. And they tried to change baptism into being sprinkling and pouring and all kinds of things of this nature. And the Lord wants us to hold fast to the word of God. But those, those, some of that early church uh, leaders, when the apostles began to die off, they came, they came along the ones who were real smart and they were adopting these Greek philosophy. And one of the things that they adopted was in the Greek philosophy was, was uh, Gnosticism, spelt with a G, G-O-N-O-S, Gnosticism. And Gnosticism was a weird belief that we have a body and a soul and a spirit, or body and soul and spirit, 
which the Bible says we do. We have a body, soul, and spirit. And that we have that, and whenever we die, the body returns back to the earth, and the spirit and soul goes to God, but we sin in the body. We sin in the flesh. Therefore, the flesh goes back to the earth and it dies, but the soul and the spirit is not contaminated because we sinned in the flesh, not in the spirit, not in the soul. You know, it goes back to God. So therefore, it doesn't matter what you do. Live as wicked as you want to. Live as wild as you want to. Live as crazy as you want to. And when you die, all your sins go with the body into the grave. You know, and that's it. And this was what they began to believe. And so consequently, they began to teach because of that, you can be a Christian and just live any kind of old way you want to live. You know, and they begin to teach that and everything. And this is what the apostles, this began to happen early on. And this is what Jude, this is what John, in 1 John and 2 John, and this is what Peter talked about, was these people who were beginning to adopt these kind of philosophies and theories. What I am pointing out to you folks was that all kinds of crazy beliefs begin to come into the word. Now, I go back to this. This is what we stay with right here. You know, men's ideas and men's theories and men's I, uh, whatever they come up with, that's not what we live by. We live by the book here. Amen. And they will try to tell us or others will try to tell us this or that. And they will try to tell us that we, you know, believe this or believe that. And when I look at all of these things here that they begin to fall, that caused them to begin to fall away, little by little men introduce those things. Now. I have to be very transparent with you and I have to be very honest with you. Many of these men were very brilliant people, not in just in the early church, but all through history. Educated men, intelligent men, leaders that knew far more than what I know or you know. They had great knowledge about a lot of things. Who in the world am I to stand here and say they were wrong. I have, I, I don't, I can't do that. I mean, I'd be an idiot to say, oh, I know more than they knew. I know more than they know, or they knew that because they're not living now. And I know more than they knew back then. Who am I to say that? I have no right to say that. Only that I can say the word of God says it. This is why you and I have to stand on the word. You're no smarter than those men that have lived in history. You're no smarter. I'm no smarter than those men who have lived in history. But I can only say this was what the apostles' doctrine was. I know men can change their beliefs and go a different way or a different route simply because they have an ego problem or simply because of some ambitions they have or simply because uh, they, they just don't see it the way you and I see it, or their background has affected them a certain way, or whatever, whatever reason it is, I don't know. But what I do know is that this word here will bring us always together on the right course if we stay with the book. And this is why I quote scripture a lot of times, and I put scripture in the Bible a lot, and I refer to that. All the classes that I teach, you well know that that I use a lot of scripture because the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. You ever notice that in God's word that things are repeated sometimes? 
and I was reading not long ago about the children of Israel crossing the Red Sea. It didn't say they just crossed the Red Sea. It says they crossed the Red Sea. The water was a wall on their right hands. The wall is on their left hand. Then it goes on to say it. It says it all over again, just about, you know, three or four verses down. And they crossed the sea on dry land. And there was, there was a, and it didn't say there's a wall on their right hand, a wall on their left hand. It just, it simply says the waters rolled back. And, or it said that uh, the waters were this way or that way. But it would say it different ways. So that you are not mistaken. Am I really reading that the waters really stood up like a wall on each side of them? Am I really reading that in the Bible? And the word would be repeated and repeated. And you find that all through the scriptures. Where the Lord said, I don't want you to be mistaken about this. I'm going to say it again. Even like Paul did. If any man preach any other gospel other than I preach, let him be accursed. Then he says, I'm repeating. I'm going to say that again. And then he repeats it all over with. So I'm just trying to tell you here, all of this is designed to let us know that God's word is absolutely right. It's on target. The Lord meant everything that he meant. It talked about David killing Goliath. That's an impossible thing, David killing Goliath. You know, a, little, a, a young, young lad, I don't know, they believe he's around 17 years old. But he goes out against a giant 10 feet tall, big soldier, armor, you know, everything. Everybody in the world is scared of him. And he goes out and he fights that guy. He doesn't even have any armor on. He's just got a sling and a slingshot. You know, I don't know, not, not this kind, but that kind, you know. And he goes out and kills, kills the giant. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> and he does all of that, praise the Lord, simply because he believes the word of God and he's founded on the word of God and he believes it with all his heart. And he knows that God's able to give him the victory. Now, what I'm pointing out to you here in the word is that the Lord is able to take anybody and use them for his glory, for his cause, and for his purpose. Now, I want you to turn to a verse of scripture before I go any further here. I want to show you something. How is it that you and I can say, this is the truth, this is the word, and they were wrong? You know, they were wrong. Brilliant men, brilliant people. Okay, look at these verses, if you would, with me. Uh, I want you to look, if you would, in uh, 1 Corinthians 1.19. 1 Corinthians 1.19 with me for just a moment here. <clears throat> well, let me find it here. Okay. All right. For it is written, look at this very closely. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now what Paul is talking about here is how that God chose the simple act of the foolishness of preaching. You know, just a simple act. In fact, that 18th verse, that, that prior to that 19th verse, uh, says that. For the preaching of the gospel to them that perish is foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. And so here is Paul talking about that. And he goes on to say that it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Praise God. Preachers. God calls them. He calls preachers to preach the gospel. Before I go any further, let me just say this. God said to me one time, 
Brother Myers, I don't believe in women preachers. I said, well, you know, you can, you can say I don't believe that fat meat's greasy. It doesn't mean that it's not greasy. You know, whatever we believe doesn't change, doesn't change the fact. He said, I don't believe women. Well, he said, what I really mean is that I don't think women should preach. Why? I said, he said, because the scripture says, let women be silent in the church. I said, it doesn't say that. He said, well, he said, well, it says, let women keep silent in the church. I said, no, it doesn't say that. I said, the Bible said, let women keep silence. That is to keep the condition of silence. You know, maintain your children, you know, whatever, small children, babies. Keep silence in the church. In other words, maintain quietness in the church so that the word of God can go forth. And we're talking about, you know, the preaching of the word and so forth. And so that's what it means, keep silence. It doesn't say keep silent, you know. And, of course, God uses women, you know, in gifts and so forth. And uh, he said, well, I just don't believe in, I don't know, God doesn't have to use women. He could use, use men. I said, you know what? I said, there are some men that God may call and they don't, they don't respond. God calls them to preach the gospel. They don't want to preach the gospel. They want to go out and make money. They want to get rich. They want to pursue their own goals. They don't want to preach. So what God, does God do? He calls a woman to preach the gospel. God will call who he wants to. Eli was the priest of Israel, the high priest. He was the priest uh, in Israel. But he had two sons who were the priests, a priest as well, Hophni and Phinehas, and they were wicked as the devil. And the Lord said, it's enough. I've, I've had enough. They, these men live like the devil, and they're the priests, and they're offering sacrifices unto me for the people, and they're even uh, not, they're not treating the people right. And all kind of things, and the Lord said, I just, and so he raised up Samuel in the house of God. You know, you know the story of Samuel. His mother thought, thought she could have children. She prayed, and God gave her, gave her uh, Samuel, and then she gave him to the Lord because that's what she said she would do. So she gave him to Eli. So Eli raised Samuel. And when Samuel, when Eli died, Samuel became the priest. Hophni and Phinehas was killed in a battle. And so Samuel became the priest. He wasn't the rightful he didn't have the rights to be a priest. He was not of the tribe of Aaron. But God used him. He was a substitute. God can use anybody. He can use anyone. And God has chosen the foolish things, the small things, the base things, sometimes to confound the big things. That's why that I can stand here and talk about these guys were wrong. You know, they changed baptism. They introduced the Trinity doctrine. They, they introduced celibacy, transubstantiation. They introduced all that, and I can say they're wrong. Not because I'm smart, just because God can take anybody and he can put his wisdom in their minds, in their hearts, you and me, everyday common people, and he can give us understanding that they never had. This is why folks, people who think they're real smart, they, they lose it with God. Let me read on. Let me read a little further in this scripture. Everybody stay with me? I'm really getting wound up here, am I not? <laughs> Look here, this, I'm going to read this 21st verse again. I'm in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 21. After, uh, after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. You know, preaching. Man. And God just raises up people to preach the gospel. For the Jews require a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews that something blocked unto the Greeks' foolishness. 
But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Uh, goes on to say, because of the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Look down at verse 27. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the, meek, the weak things of the world to confound things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Do you understand what I'm trying to say here? That's why that if we have an open heart to God, it's, it's, not, it's not what our background is, it's not what our pedigree is, it's not who we are, you know. It's just that God, praise the Lord, sees a sincere heart. And we can always be humble before God. And we can say, God, I am nothing, but you are everything. And my very existence is because of you. We come to church and praise God, not because God's on an ego trip and needs our praise. He is worthy of our praise. I mean, he should be praised. It's an insult to God for idolatry. Anything else is an insult to God. When God has made all things, and somebody sets a statue over here and praises this statue here like they're the ones that did everything. They didn't do it. God did all of that. That's why we owe God praise. The fact that we're breathing to this morning, the fact you were got up and you came to church and you were able to be in church. We owe God praise. We owe him worship and just thanks. God, you're so good to us. Praise the Lord. And all these things, amen, God honors and God respects. And he does not respect the arrogant and high-minded and highfalutin attitudes that men can get to thinking that they are somewhat when they are in the eyes of God, they're nothing. I don't care how brilliant compared to me, they may be brilliant minds compared to you and me together. They may be just intellectual giants, but in the eyes of God, they're still peons because God's wisdom, God's knowledge is so great and he can take the simplest things and he can make greatness out of it. Praise God. And here's the reason. I'm going to finish reading this 28th verse. Base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, the things which are not to bring to naught things which are. And here's the reason, verse 29, that no flesh shall glory in his presence. And I want you to understand that. God can use anybody. Uh, some of you older people, I don't know if you remember this, brother. How many of you remember Alan Oggs? If you just raise your hand, I see a number of hands in the audience in the new brother Alan Oggs. But Alan Oggs has now passed away. But Alan Oggs was probably, I'd say, close to my, my own age. The thing about Alan Oggs is that when you saw him, you would just not think there's going to be a whole lot there when it comes to preaching the gospel. That's what you think when you first see him. He was, uh, he was born with, a, with, a, with an affliction where he was, uh, he was crippled and his arms like this. And he, and he studied and he walked and he spoke with a little slur. And when he was a kid, kids would knock him down and he couldn't get up. He couldn't get back up because he didn't have the dexterity and the ability to get up. And they would, they would laugh at him and kid him and so forth. He went through all of this as a child growing up. And they would ask him, what are you going to be when you grow up, Al? He said, I want to be a preacher. I'm going to be a preacher. And they said, that's good. Great, okay. And as he grew right on up, went to Bible school, 
I'm studying to be in the ministry. God's called me to preach. Everybody said, sure, yeah, okay, okay, Alan, that's good. Nobody ever thought he, got, he would be a preacher because of his handicap. I have seen him speak before audiences. I have seen him speak to an audience of 20,000 people. When he'd go to the pulpit, he would get up from a chair, and for him to walk from the chair to the pulpit would be harder than for you or I to walk from here to the front door, just for him to walk that short distance. He, you know, he'd come up there. And when he did, people that didn't know him would say, what do we got here? This guy's going to speak. And especially when he opened his mouth and started talking, it had to sound like a little slur. He'd stand there, and he'd straighten that mic, and he'd get it just right, and get himself positioned just right. And he'd never move, and for one hour, he'd preach to that congregation, and tears would flow, and people would cry in the audience and come to the altar and give their heart to God because God used him. And I'm telling you folks, God can use anybody because it's God that does the work. It's not us. It's not us. And, and uh, Alan, Brother Alan Oggs, he pastored the church in Gainesville before Brother Arnold pastors it now. And uh, he was the head of a Bible school for, for a number of years. I'm just telling you all of that so that you understand here that God can choose anybody anywhere. Hallelujah. Because it is God that does the work. And I guarantee you when he got in the pulpit, he's preached here several times back years, several years ago. He's preached right in this church. But when he would stand in the pulpit and he'd preach the word, praise the Lord, the anointing of God would come. And folks, that's what it's all about. It's not our eloquence. It's not our, you know, our capability. It's not all of those things. I know God can use any, all and any of us, any part of us. But it's God doing his thing and his ability to use us. And us saying, God, it's all in your hands. It's all with you. I had a friend years ago when I was in Bible school. Uh, <clears throat> he came to Bible school and nice looking young man, just like, you know, all of us thought we were, were you know. <laughs> and when he opened his mouth and talked, he had a high pitched girl's voice. And uh, they said, what are you doing up here? He said, I'm studying for the ministry. I'm going to be a preacher. God's called me to preach. And he had a high-pitched voice. And everybody said, yeah, right, you know. And he worked on a job, you know, and he said, I'm here going to Bible school because I want to be a minister. And he talked with that high voice, you know, like really a girl's voice type thing. And, uh, and, and that's the way he talked all the time. And he was just as sincere and just as honest. And we all said, yeah, we wish you well. <laughs> you know, you know, that's what he used to preach. He had a high-pitched voice. And one night in a revival, Sunday night, he was down at the altar praying, and he prayed and prayed with the young person, prayed through to the Holy Ghost. And they prayed through to the Holy Ghost, got the Holy Ghost, and he lost his voice. And he couldn't talk. He just lost it. You know how you can lose your voice. Got a, you know, you get hoarse or whatever, you get laryngitis. And three days, he went without a voice. And he finally went to the doctor, and the doctor said, yeah, you're fine. You'll be okay. Your voice will come back pretty soon. He said, you just got a laryngitis. You'll be all right. Went home. When his voice came back, it was deep, just like yours, your, any of you men and mine would be right now. His voice was deep, and it was a masculine voice. And he thought, well, that's a little hoarseness that I've gotten, you know, from having prayed and just come back out of that. It never changed. It stayed that way and is that way to this day. As far as I know, this, this man, and he went out preaching the gospel. I'm just trying to tell you God can do anything. 
and God can do all things. Hallelujah. And it's a wonderful thing to know that you and I can say, you know, thus saith the word of the Lord. I, I, I can't say that these guys are wrong because I'm smarter than them. You can't say they were wrong because you and I are smarter than them and we're wiser and all of that. It has nothing to do with that. It's just that we stay with the word. And if you and I, folks, will stick with the book and we'll stay with the word of God and keep God on our side, God can use anyone in anything, any way, any, you, you, all kinds of ways. It is God's good pleasure to use even the smallest, most insignificant things, the base things he calls them, in order that he might re, re, do his work and achieve his purpose and that no flesh can boast in his sight. Hallelujah. Don't you love the Lord? I like the way God does things. I just like the way God does things. Praise the Lord. Let's stay together. Let's lift our hands and worship him right now together, would you? Would you just worship the Lord and let's praise him and say, God, we thank you for your goodness and love and mercy. Jesus, we glorify your wonderful name, how great you are, Lord. You're a wonderful Lord, a wonderful Savior. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege to be in the house of God. In the precious and wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you. Remain standing, if you would, as our musicians come at this time to sing. God bless you.